Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Emma. And we are the Steministas. We educate the public about science and the news. And the ethical implications of new science findings. Well, Rachel, it is almost Thanksgiving. I am very excited to have a break from writing and a break from experiments and to spend time with family and eating a lot of food. How about you? Definitely. I mean, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. (laughs) I'm excited also to see family and eat some delicious food, especially uh, the stuffing and mashed potatoes. You know, carbs carbs are where it's at. (laughs) Uh, And then this year we're going to top off the holiday by watching the tree lighting ceremony in Lexington on Friday night. Oh, that sounds amazing. Is it like one big tree or like a bunch of trees they light up? Yeah, it's one big tree, although... um, (laughs) <laughs> so my uh my brother-in-law and my sister used to live in new york city so they're kind of used to the big one in rockefeller mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they're so, sorely disappointed last year but I, I think it's still fun and it's you know it ushers in the christmas season and all yeah and oh, that yeah. lets me play christmas music <laughs> i do definitely feel like i'm slightly more productive in December because I have Christmas music and that just seems to make me more excited to do things because I know Christmas is coming yeah and it just put you in a good mood (laughs) it really does yeah Yeah. (laughs) this week we're going to talk about COVID and the cardiovascular system you've probably heard that COVID can affect those who have heart issues worse or that COVID can cause heart issues just by itself Last year, we did a few episodes on COVID that we'll link in the show notes. We won't spend too much time recapping the basics of COVID since by now we're pretty familiar with the disease and its symptoms and prognosis. Instead, we wanted to focus here on how COVID affects the heart. The virus that causes COVID-19 is known as SARS-CoV-2. SARS-CoV-2 looks like a ball with lots of spikes sticking out of it. These spikes bind to specific receptors in the body. Something binding to a receptor is kind of like a key that opens a specific lock. So these spikes can bind to these specific receptors like a key to a lock. The receptors that SARS-CoV-2 binds to are called ACE2 receptors, which stands for angiotensin-converting enzyme. And we're linking a great article that talks all about ACE2 receptors if you'd like to know more, but just briefly, the normal physiological function of these receptors is to help the body regulate wound healing, inflammation, and blood pressure. Obviously, ACE2 receptors are expressed in the cardiovascular system, or we probably wouldn't be discussing them today, but these receptors are also present in other tissues as well. ACE2 receptor is expressed in many different cell types, like in the lungs, heart, blood vessels, kidney, gut, liver, and more. And now that we know where ACE2 receptors are, what does ACE2 do? We link to an article that talks about how ACE2 helps break down a protein called angiotensin 2. Angiotensin 2 causes inflammation by enhancing cytokines and increasing blood pressure in the body, especially in the lungs. And just to tell you, cytokines are these inflammatory markers that go to sites of wounds or sites of inflammation in the body to help control inflammation. Angiotensin II also promotes the formation of highly reactive chemicals called reactive oxygen species. Reactive oxygen species can disrupt normal biological processes, so it's best to minimize the potential for them to be formed. 
While angiotensin II is sometimes needed to spur inflammation that promotes healing, excess angiotensin II is a problem, and ACE2 helps counteract these negative effects of too much angiotensin by breaking it down. However, when SARS-CoV-2 binds to the ACE2 receptor, this prevents ACE2 receptors from breaking down angiotensin II, which is why people with SARS-CoV-2 infection often exhibit blood pressure changes as well as inflammation throughout the body. Importantly, as we mentioned, the ACE2 receptor is expressed in many different places throughout the body. This means that the virus is more likely to bind in these places, especially the epithelial cells lining the nasal passages and the lung, which is where the virus enters first after someone breathes it in. And just as a PSA here, this is why it's so important to keep your mask covered over your nose because this is a hot spot for viral particles. And in previous studies about SARS, scientists demonstrated that people with more ACE2 receptors had a more severe response to the virus than someone who had fewer ACE2 receptors. So by looking at the lungs of patients who had COVID-19, scientists also found that there were more ACE2 receptors in individuals that had COVID-19 compared to controls that didn't have an infection. They also found that men tended to have higher ACE2 receptor expression than women, And it's thought that ACE2 expression may be a driving factor behind why more men die from COVID than women. This is an interesting um, uh, little tidbit here that there are sex differences in COVID deaths. I actually hadn't heard that before. Yeah, I think I originally heard it when uh, reports were coming out from Wuhan back in early 2020, but I hadn't really followed up with it since. But it makes sense if there's different ACE2 receptor level between men and women that you would have potential differences due to that. But I don't think they've officially said, oh, it's just due to the ACE2 receptors. Oh, no. Yeah, it could be lots of things. I don't know. Like lifestyle differences too. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, so many. (laughs) Maybe men are more reckless. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Oh, they are. Now that we know more about the biology of ACE2 receptors, we want to discuss how COVID relates to the cardiovascular system. The first point to mention is that individuals with existing cardiovascular disease are more susceptible to contracting severe forms of COVID. This is pretty well known since we remember from the vaccine rollout that these people were among the groups allowed to receive the vaccine early. However, what may not be as widely known is why cardiovascular disease makes people more susceptible. We're planning an episode all about cardiovascular disease with a guest, Natalie Harris, who is a graduate student at UNC. But we'll quickly just say here that cardiovascular diseases are a group of disorders all affecting the heart and or blood vessels. And they can include coronary heart disease, cerebrovascular disease, and more. These underlying diseases can increase a person's risk of heart attack and stroke. What does cardiovascular disease have to do with SARS-CoV-2? Well, as we'll discuss next, COVID has some pretty serious consequences for the heart. So individuals that already have underlying cardiac issues are even more prone to have a poor outcome. So we know that COVID can cause damage to the heart. Somewhere around a third to a fifth of patients hospitalized for COVID have evidence of heart muscle injury. And heart muscle injury is associated with a greater need for a ventilator as well as increased risk of death. But what damage does SARS-CoV-2 actually do to the heart and blood vessels? The damage can be both direct and indirect. One of the first signs of heart damage due to SARS-CoV-2 was when doctors looked at the blood of patients in Wuhan who had COVID-19. 
these patients had elevated levels of cardiac troponin in their blood, which cardiac troponin, when it's in your blood, it indicates heart damage. People can often use this to see if someone's about to have a heart attack or if they've had a heart attack. Because the heart muscle contains the ACE2 receptors, SARS-CoV-2 can actually enter heart cells. And this has been observed in a small study of 20 individuals who died from COVID, where SARS-CoV-2 was present in 7 out of 20 hearts. Now, this can vary from study to study, and one group observed evidence of SARS-CoV-2 in only 5 out of 104 hearts, and a different group saw 24 out of 35 patients. Uh, So it's hard to tell with these small studies that only include hundreds instead of thousands of people. So the exact percentage of individuals who harbor SARS-CoV-2 in heart cells is unclear. But when SARS-CoV-2 is present in the heart cells, what damage does it actually cause? We want to be clear that this is an active area of research, and we're still learning a lot about this. But for now, we can say that the presence of virus in the heart is associated with features of myocarditis, or heart muscle inflammation. And this includes necrosis, or heart cell death. One really exciting study that was recently published in Science Translational Medicine showed that heart muscle cells could be infected by SARS-CoV-2, but not other heart cells, including endothelial cells and fibroblasts they tested. The virus actually caused changes in gene expression and the cytoskeleton, which is, that's exciting to me because it was the main focus of my dissertation research. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the cytoskeleton is exactly what it sounds like. It's the skeleton of the cell. And this network is dynamic, but strong, and it gives cells their shape and is really important for cell movements and protecting cells from stress. Protection from stress is critical in a heart muscle cell because these cells experience lots of stretching and pulling forces when the heart beats. And we talked about this on another episode, like how many times the heart beats a day and just those cells are contracting that many times a day. I don't remember if it was like 200,000 or something crazier. So this could be one potential way that SARS-CoV-2 directly damages heart muscle, but it's still early days and surely there's going to be more information to come in the future. While the main focus of this episode is the heart, we'll quickly mention here that COVID also has effects on the blood vessels. Yes, as we mentioned, ACE2 receptors are also present on blood vessels. So when SARS-CoV-2 binds to ACE2 to gain entry into the cells, it doesn't just enter the cell. It can also disrupt ACE2's normal function on those cells. One of these functions is to regulate vascular permeability. This means how tight together the cells are that line blood vessels. More permeable vessels are not as tightly sealed, which can cause leaking and edema, which is basically swelling of these blood vessels. This permeability may play a role in inflammation as well, since immune cells can also travel through the bloodstream. Also, while the mechanism isn't known, SARS-CoV-2 promotes coagulation, putting people at risk for developing blood clots. Now back to the heart. Indirect damage to the heart is likely due to inflammation in the lungs, which can cause what's called a cytokine storm. So as we mentioned earlier, cytokines are produced by immune cells to help with signaling to other cells to come and help repair whatever part of the body is injured. Now, normally this is a good thing because your body's communicating to other parts of the body and this promotes healing. However, during times of severe inflammation, the body can have a cytokine storm. And when this happens, the cytokines are released at very high levels. Too many cytokines can cause too many immune cells to come and help at a site of injury, which can then end up damaging a tissue. It's kind of an example of 
something in a certain amount is good for you. But when you have too much of a good thing, it can really cause issues. So the inflammation caused by SARS-CoV-2 can take an especially high toll on the heart. Some experts even believe that a special type of inflammation occurs called myocarditis. Myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle, and this can occur due to viral infections such as SARS-CoV-2. Usually it resolves on its own, but if not, it can lead to serious complications. Excess or long-term inflammation can lead to reduced heart function and other complications like arrhythmias, which is an irregular heartbeat, heart failure, or even cardiac arrest. And while there's clearly damage to the heart in COVID, um, as we talked about, those elevated troponin levels, myocarditis is different because it involves the trifecta, immune cell infiltration, presence of the virus in muscle cells, and muscle cell injury. And sometimes some of these three features are present, but not all three, and that doesn't count as myocarditis. Now, this may sound like a subtle difference, but it can be really important to know exactly what's causing the damage in order to know how to treat people. And there's a lot of controversy right now in the medical field about how much myocarditis is actually present in individuals with COVID. A few studies have also shown lingering cardiac inflammation in individuals that had asymptomatic or less severe cases of COVID. One German research group studied 100 patients, and a U.S. study looked at 26 athletes. In the U.S. study, 4 out of 26 participants showed evidence of myocarditis, and 8 out of 26 showed evidence of heart scarring. Seeing that these individuals were all athletes, it's possible that the scarring was coming from intense training. Having access to baseline heart scans before COVID infection would have been helpful in interpreting this. But for the German study, 60 out of the 100 individuals who were thought to have recovered from COVID-19 based on a negative nasal swab test, 60 of these people showed evidence of myocardial inflammation. So this sounds pretty concerning. However, scans to check for myocarditis are not necessarily a definitive diagnosis, and the gold standard is a pathological examination after death, which clearly isn't possible in a lot of cases. On top of this, a review published early this year examining 277 different autopsies concluded that pathologists may be overestimating the amount of myocarditis, possibly because of inconsistent criteria for the diagnosis and or overdiagnosis caused by the bias of wanting to validate clinical tests. Mm, that's interesting that the bias that comes into some of this, especially if it's diagnosing myocarditis is something they maybe don't do every day and now they're having a lot of potential instances of it. Totally. And it's it's surprising to me. I mean I I would yeah, I would hope that they blind the pathologist in some way. Yeah. When doing this? I, I don't know if that's standard because just, you know, Emma and I are bench scientists, so we will often blind ourselves to if if the if whatever we're analyzing is a control or the actual experiments just to remove bias. You know, everyone has it. So I'd be surprised if they don't do it in the medical field, too. Yeah, you would hope so. Yeah. Another concern is that the amount of individuals studied is low and it could take decades to see the effects. Dr. Fauci himself pointed out in American Heart Association conference that it's still too early to tell what these findings mean, particularly the heart inflammation in COVID-recovered individuals. Still, even if myocarditis per se isn't the main culprit, there does seem to be damage to the heart, especially in severe COVID cases, which some physicians suspect may contribute to the intense fatigue that people experience. And the field seems to lean 
more toward the idea that systemic inflammation and not direct heart muscle infection is driving the damage. Before we move on, we thought it was important to talk about myocarditis and the COVID vaccine because there's been a lot of concern that the mRNA vaccine alone causes myocarditis. While it's true that some people who get the COVID vaccine do develop myocarditis, the chance of this happening is very, very low. A study in the New England Journal of Medicine found that only 54 out of 2.5 million vaccinated individuals met the criteria for myocarditis. The highest incidence of myocarditis was in male patients ages 16 to 29. The estimated incidence is 2.3 out of 100,000 vaccinated individuals, so very low. Yeah, the chance is very low that this would happen to you. Even though the chance is low, it's good to be aware of this and just to know the signs of myocarditis so that you can seek appropriate medical attention if needed. And these signs are chest pain, shortness of breath, and feeling like your heart rate is fast beating or pounding and you can't stop it. It said fluttering, too, on the website. Fluttering. <laughs> it's kind of vague. <laughs> yeah, I feel like someone, if they're like falling in love, they'd be like, my heart is fluttering. I know. Isn't your um, stomach supposed to flutter when you're nervous? Yeah, it definitely does. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, to end on a positive note, we wanted to talk about some of the ways that you can improve your cardiovascular health. That's right. It can be really scary to receive diagnoses like cardiovascular disease from the doctor, but it also gives you the power of knowledge to make lifestyle changes and take control of your health. If you or someone you know has a diagnosed cardiovascular disease, it's obviously best to work with your doctor to make a concrete plan to tackle it. The World Health Organization recommends certain medications for people with diagnosed cardiovascular disease, including aspirin, beta blockers, and statins, which lower your cholesterol. In severe cases, surgery would be necessary to remove large blockages or to implant a pacemaker. If you hope to lower your chance of contracting a cardiovascular disease, there are several lifestyle changes you can implement, especially at a young age, including exercising, eating healthy, and avoiding alcohol and tobacco. It's also very important to find a way to manage stress. Rachel and I have talked a lot about different methods we use to deal with our graduate school stress, but everyone will have stress in their life, and we must find a healthy way to cope, whether it's exercise, music, or something else. 